Okay, so very many thanks to everybody. I think it sounds like most people have been able to join in either by um, the phone conference or by Facebook Live. I know we've got a few people on Facebook Live. Um, we also have two visitors, the Underwood um, couple are here from Hobart, so it's really nice that um, it's not just myself lecturing to Larissa for the hundredth time, um, that actually we're able to have a bit of an audience. Um, so the Underwoods have been long-time members of the church in Hobart, um, I think before that from um, um, Holland Park as well. So um, yeah, it's really nice to have some people here, but we only have four people in the room, not one person per four square metres, so we're kind of social distancing okay. Um, obviously this is um, a bit unusual. I don't believe I've ever had a worship service quite like this, so we'll just do the best we can. Um, in a moment I'll open in a word of prayer, and then we'll have um, a Lord's Supper talk, and then we'll take it the Lord's Supper and then I'll move into uh, a shortish sermon. Um, the sermon will still be based from Isaiah, uh, as Daniel has been working through with the previous classes. And then after that, um, we'll, we'll finish. Um, song leading and singing is just not going to be really practical across this line. But again, if you're able to meet in small groups or, or sing in your heart, that would be a lovely thing. Um, also, some people have asked about giving to the church. Um, we do have a heritage bank account that you're welcome to um, give your contribution to via a, a direct deposit. Uh, if you just make a note of um, today's um, date, perhaps, and, and contribution or even contrib, that'll be fine. Uh, if you'd prefer to contact Dad directly and, and pass on cash or something like that, you're most welcome to do that. Um, again, just let me or Dad know and we can sort out those details. We also understand that there can be, um, it's a difficult time and um, with the economy and employment and things like that. So if your finances are straightened in any way, please don't feel like you, know, you have to meet obligations that you know, make a pauper of you. So please, um, you know, just obviously be... Um, make judicial judgments around um, that type of thing. Um, just a couple of other announcements as well. So uh, obviously for today uh, we're not meeting, so over the Sunday and evening and Wednesday evening service as well, they'll be suspended for the time being. Um, we'll put signs up on the um, walls here and the doorways. Um, Daniel and Hannah will be back, uh, I believe, Monday evening, so they're down in Windsor at the moment, uh, as are Abraham and Maddie and the family. Um, so they had a lectureship in Windsor. Uh, Windsor, they all were able to meet out in the car park, and so they were measuring out the seats in the car park there and trying to um, meet the requirements. So uh, everybody's in the same boat. Everybody's trying to make do with what we can um, Please keep in mind, obviously, all of those at the front line of this. Um, there are five at least confirmed cases of um, you know, positive tests for the virus in Toowoomba. Um, uh, it is anticipated that that will increase, as it has done. Um, there were pretty terrible numbers in Italy and Spain overnight with deaths, and so this is obviously very serious, and we'll try to take it with all due care um, that we can. Uh, outside of that, please keep in mind um, Angie Goebel. So she, in the past week, had reports back about some um, 
blood clots in the brain that she has had. Obviously, that's a concerning thing. Um, it has helped to clarify some of the problems that she's had with uh, like a face fall and things like that. Um, but she would really appreciate our prayers at this time. Uh, also, uh, Fletcher Christian is going for a, um, a science tech job at Harristown High School. Uh, I think his interview is on Wednesday. And so that's for a, a permanent position um, that he has worked there previously, but uh, this will give them more security. So we'll pray for those things as well. Um, okay, let's um, we'll pray now and then we'll move on with the service. Dear Father in heaven, we give thanks for this day, Lord. It's another day granted to each and every one of us. Our thoughts are sober at this time with the um, ill health that is spreading through the globe. We realise, Lord, that there are many people that are vulnerable. There are many people that are striving their best to help care and treat and, um, and find the best options to slow the spread and to create a vaccine. For everybody affected, Lord, everybody who is grieving lost loved ones, everybody who is um, anxious, everybody who is uncertain, we pray, Lord, for um, all care, all concern. We pray for your guiding hand, Lord. We pray that we might be able to reach out to each other in the most um, effective ways to make sure that we support one another, even though we may be isolated physically. Help us, Lord, to um, be strong through this. Help us to find ways to support other people. Help us also, Lord, to keep in mind that um, you have declared to us um, very clearly that our bodies will fail, that um, we are prey to these things. And we don't take these things lightly. We don't wish these things on anybody. We just acknowledge them as a reality. But we know, Lord, that beyond the grave there is... Um, something even more significant and more important that we must consider. And so we pray, Lord, that in these heightened times um, that people might consider the claims of the gospel, consider the destination of their souls, and that we might do all that we can to reach out to provide the consolations of the gospel to people. Lord, we continue to pray for um, Angie and we pray that with the diagnosis she has that she might be able to undertake the required treatments to help prevent these blood clots and maybe to um, help um, moderate some of the worst effects that they've had on her health. Um, so we pray for her and all those caring for her. Lord, we realise people like Mrs Goble and Kevin Keith are um, in much greater isolation at this time. We pray for them and for uh, any concerns they have, um, the reduced contact they have. We pray that they might be able to be looked after at this time. Lord, we think also of Fletcher and for his upcoming um, job application. Um, we pray, Lord, for every success for him. We know, Lord, that he is um, very good at his job, very good at... Um, uh, all that he does, and, and we pray, Lord, that if it be your will, um, that this job might be a great blessing to he and to the family. Um, Lord, we commit all these things to you now and the welfare of the church and all its members here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, um, as I said, it is a bit weird sort of speaking into the void, but I trust that everybody can hear me, and um, we'll move into um, the Lord's Supper now. Um, so um, 
the text for the sermon will be taken from Isaiah chapter 53. Obviously, Isaiah 53, a very well-known passage, um, frequently used uh, in this time where we commemorate um, the Lord's Supper and all that that means. In fact, Isaiah 53 is such a well-known passage that, of course, it's quoted in the New Testament as well, um, both um, directly and obviously the concepts that it explains we see again and again repeated. In Acts chapter 8 and verse um, 31, or really from 26 onwards, but we see um, Philip, um, the evangelist, um, one of the early evangelists in the church, he comes to the Ethiopian treasurer. And the Ethiopian treasurer in verse 31, uh, or verse 30, Philip asks him, does he understand what he's reading? And he says in verse 31, how can I unless someone guides me? And the scripture that he was actually reading is taken from Isaiah chapter 53 in verse 7 and 8. Again, a very well-known passage where it reads, um, according to verses 32 and 33 of Acts 8, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away, and who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. We see this um, use of of Christ as the, the sheep, as the sacrificial lamb, drawing on the images from Leviticus um, and the Old Testament um, sacrifices where, where lambs were used. Um, we see sheep being used to describe many different ways. Um, in Isaiah 53 and verse 6 and in other passages as well, we see that we are, are the sheep, the sheep who are led astray, the sheep that are not in the fold Um, the sheep that have basically done the wrong thing. We also see Christ as the good shepherd in John and how he lays down his life for the sheep. But in this case, we see him as um, the substitute, if you like, as the once for all, the ultimate sacrifice for sin in our stead. And this is exactly how Philip interprets it. He says in verse 34 of Acts 8, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of some other man? Um, The Ethiopian treasurer asks. And then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, that is Isaiah 53, it says he preached Jesus to him. It's unequivocal. It's very clear um, that Isaiah 53 is a messianic prophecy looking forwards towards Jesus. We see likewise John the Baptist looking towards Jesus and in John 1 verses 29 it says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then right towards the end we see in Revelation 5.12 Christ is described, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. So we see um, very clear here that um, Christ is our sacrifice Um, in our stead, so that we don't have to endure such things for our sin. And we'll pick up on more of this in Isaiah 53. But just to to finish and to show how the New Testament really reinforces this, 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And then finally in 1 Peter, Peter makes this very clear in his writing as well. He says 
in verse Peter 2 and verses 21 to 25, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. All of this echoing the words in Isaiah 53. Instead, it says, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. And again, echoing Isaiah 53, by his wounds you have been healed for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And then again in 1 Peter 3 and verse 18, he says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. So over and over again, from the Old Testament through to the New, we see Christ described um, in sacrificial terms and for our sake and to bring us back to God bring us back in a right way to God. Sin paid for and us healed, peaceful, holy before God. Um, These are truly tremendous concepts, tremendous things that we have every right to as Christians. And so let's now pray for the bread, which symbolizes that body that was um, so violently put upon um, for our sins, but also for our salvation. Let's pray together. Dear Father in heaven, we give thanks now for Christ. We give thanks for um, the very real death that he endured and for the way in which it acts as um, a sacrifice for us, that it is in um, as a substitution in our stead so that we don't have to remain separated from you, but that we can come back to you, Lord. And so we give thanks now. We give thanks for all that Christ endured. We give thanks for the bread that we can now partake of together. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have um, bread with you, if you could please partake of that now. Okay, let's pray again. Dear Father in heaven, we give thanks for um, the grape juice, a symbol again of Christ's um, blood, a symbol of Christ's life, a symbol of what he gave for us, Lord, that he gave everything. And he did this not for his own guilt, um, far from it, but rather he did this um, because we were condemned by our sin, but you did not want us to stay there. You wanted a way back, Lord, and the price for that was Christ, was Christ to be sacrificed just as the lambs of old were. And those lambs were inferior, Lord, according to Hebrews. And it was Christ himself acting as both high priest and the sacrifice on the altar um, that was able to atone for sin and was able to bring us back to be at one again with you. And for this we are so grateful. For this, Lord, we know we have hope. For this we know um, we can be with you. So we give thanks for these things now and for the grape juice we're about to partake of. In Jesus' name, amen.
Um, please now partake of your grape juice. Okay, folks, uh, that concludes our uh, Lord's Supper period of um, this worship service. Um, so now I might just give a, a short prayer and then we'll move into um, the short sermon section of this worship service. Dear Father in heaven, um, again we give thanks that we have the technology still to meet, that we have more than that, Lord, the desire to meet, the desire to worship you, the desire to connect in the ways that we can. Lord, we want to respect the laws of the land, we want to respect the dangers of this illness, but also, Lord, we have a desire to collectively lift our names to you. We want to praise you, Lord, we want to give thanks for worship, which nourishes us, which encourages and um, builds us up. Um, Lord, please be with every member. Help us, Lord, to stay strong through these things, through these times. Lord, we um, pray that we can continue to find useful means to support our community um, through um, cards, communication, through prayer, um, any funds we have that may be beneficial to others. Lord, help us in all these things that we can continue um, to be a shining light in our community. Uh, Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so now I'm um, just going to move into um, the sermon period. And so, as you know, um, for this month of March, um, we've been looking at different um, chapters of Isaiah. And uh, Isaiah, with the overarching theme um, that we have for the year of um, victory, and also um, pointing towards um, Jesus Christ and pointing towards the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. Um, so Daniel's titled this lesson, and Daniel Smith that is, um, By His Wounds We Are Healed. Again, a very um, well-known section from Isaiah 53. As I mentioned in the Lord's Supper, we see Philip um, quoting, or rather the Ethiopian eunuch, reading from this and Philip using that as a basis um, to teach Jesus Christ I imagine that there's been many, many lessons and Lord's Supper talks preached from this chapter alone, that even though the book of Isaiah is lengthy and has um, and Isaiah's ministry was very lengthy um, and there is so much that is um, rich and so much to draw from, that this particular chapter um, has um, clearly, partly because of its reference to Jesus Christ, but also the way in which it neatly encapsulates what Christ did, um, what that means, what he endured, and um, the ultimate victory that is gained from this. It is uh, a really um, special piece of scripture, and I think um, one that, again, merits um, revisiting time and again. And so we'll just go through verse by verse. We won't go through in any great depth. I don't want to keep everybody on the line. I know it's sure it's a, a little bit odd and strange, um, but we'll just make some brief points and also um, just remember that there's very many corresponding verses that we could go to, that we could look at, and we referenced some of those just before in the Lord's Supper talk, but... Um, there's many, many more um, that show as fulfilment of these scriptures. 
So, uh, as you know, the, the chapter divisions are not necessarily, um, you know, they're sort of man-made and came after the, the text of the Bible. And most of the commentators I've read have actually suggested that Isaiah 52 and verse 13 is probably where, um, so 13 to 15 is really of a part with Isaiah chapter 53. And that seems to make sense to me. It reads, uh, reading from the New King James Version, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently or wisely. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Um, again, Philippians 2 describes Christ in these exact terms, in the way in which even though he emptied himself, even though he humbled himself and came to earth as a man, he was still able to be lifted up um, and exalted and, again, put to his right place next to God. It says in verse 14, which echoes chapter 53 and verse 1, it says there, um, just as many were astonished at you, so his visage or, or his appearance was marred more than any man, um, similar language to Isaiah 53, and his form more than the sons of men. And it says there, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Uh, other versions use the term there for sprinkle as startle, or basically that people haven't seen anything like Christ. It says, kings shall shut their mouths at him, for what um, had not been told them they shall see, and what they had not heard they shall consider. And again, if we look towards the future um, of you know the church and of the way in which the gospel is taken into the world, you look for example the likes of King Agrippa and his conversations with Paul, we see this very true, that Christianity coming into the world, coming as something new, um, and that people were astonished by these teachings and by um, the truth of, of what Christ brings, and that nations as a whole um, will actually have to consider. And that's why we refer to it as the, as the New Testament. And so it's, it's come to pass. Um, in moving into Isaiah 53 itself, it begins by saying, um, Who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? So the arm of the Lord is the, the strength and the working of God. Isaiah is giving a report on God's solution to sin. He peers into the future in a way that we know many other um, prophecies do, but perhaps nothing quite so clear as these verses here. He peers into the future and the report that he brings back um, is almost not able to be believed. And we know that through the history of Israel and indeed through the history of the world, that many people continue to refuse um, to believe such things. And yet um, their truth is, is undeniable and so verifiable. Um, but this lesson is a, a somber reflection on the necessary solution to sin, that is the brutal murder of the Son of God. The Prince of Peace took on the full force of sin. Upon him was the chastisement or the, the punishment, the suffering that brought us peace. Not only did he die on our behalf, but we were guilty of giving him the stripes by which we are healed. But not only do is it focus on the suffering, those last verses, verses 10 to 12, 
kind of switch the camera or switch the viewpoint and they look at the ultimate purpose of this and the ultimate um, point and what is accomplished. And again, in keeping with our theme, the ultimate victory that there is despite the brutality of what Christ endures. And so we see in verse 2 of Isaiah 53, it says, For he, the capital H, he, he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. So again, this looks forward to Christ coming into the world, um, not with great pomp and circumstance, not through chariots of fire from heaven, but born very humbly in a manger, um, born in a time where Israel is under occupation um, by Roman authorities. Israel has also, again, um, wandered far away in many ways from um, the law, wandered away from God, all sorts of corruption, um, part of their society. And these things that Christ in his own public ministry um, calls out. But we see, so this is, is dry ground, dry ground for a Messiah, for a Saviour to come to. It says here that he has no form or comeliness, no great you know, attractiveness. Um, and when we see him, so this we here, putting sort of Israel in place, that people, when they see Christ, it's not going to be what you think, it, what you have used to been looking for. It's not going to be this kind of um, physical warrior that you're used to, this sort of Saul idea of the man that's head and shoulders above everybody else, the man that gives rousing speeches and you know slays Goliath, all of these sorts of ideas. This is not what Christ will be and what you should be looking for. It says there, um, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Verse 3, it goes on to show um, how Christ will be treated. And again, any close reading of the Gospels proves this to be true. It says he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Really poetic language, but also really accurate language. That we know that Christ was increasingly you know, berated and ridiculed by um, the religious leaders, the leaders who, as we've seen in the parables, you know, should have been able to recognize true righteousness, should have been able to recognize um, the fulfillment of the prophecies that they were well acquainted with, but um, refused to. Likewise, we see many people flocking to Christ while he's able to offer free meals, free health care, um, you know, nice speeches. But when things start to get difficult, many people retreat from him. And it says there, it says, we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. And again, I don't think it's too big a stretch to draw a line to contemporary societies. And every generation has treated Christ oftentimes in this similar way. You know, Stephen talks about all the prophets who brought God's message and how they were um, so poorly treated. And Christ himself treated this way. And how the gospel continues to be trampled on, continues to be ridiculed. How people continue to hide their faces from Christ. And he says this is so terrible according to verse 4 because he has borne our griefs, it says, and carried our sorrows. 
Again, the language in First um, Corinthians, uh, or rather Second Corinthians five, First Peter two, First Peter three, really echo this same thing. And it says it, it keeps flicking back and forward from, if you think of a, a camera and the perspectives. And so we look at Christ and we see Christ who is coming to this world and being treated poorly and not being recognized for who he should be. And then we look back to us and we see us doing the despising. And we also see us um, in many ways um, the ones that are um, responsible for all of this that Christ must suffer. And so it says, We esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. And then back to Christ, it says, But he was wounded for what? For our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Transgressions, iniquities, these are just words for sin, for wrongdoing, for going against God, going against what is right, doing the wrong thing. It says, The chastisement for our peace was upon him. So the punishment, the the cost, the way to bring us to be right with God, to be at one with God, to have that division that exists because of, skin, uh, because of sin resolved, that falls upon Christ. And it says here, quite literally, by his stripes we are healed. We know quite literally Christ had his back torn apart by um, whips, um, you know, not... Uh, um, a gentle thing, but a very brutal, very awful thing. We've seen it in colonial Australian history. We've seen this sort of punishment used, and it's a, a terrifying thing. And it says, because of that, his stripes, we are healed. It's the most remarkable thing. And then again, it flips back to us, verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. And again, we see us being likened to sheep frequently in the New Testament writings. It says, we have turned everyone to his own way. Um, Not to make a glib point here, but again, we're so terrified of this virus affecting so many people. And it's right that we should be very concerned about such things. And God says, you know, sin affects every person and it affects their soul. It affects their standing with God. And again, this is echoed easily in Romans, um, that all have sinned, fallen short of God's glory. Here, we have turned every one to his own way. And then it flips back to Christ. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. In verse 7, it says, going back to the Ethiopian treasurer, coming back to us. We all have the same verses that we need to reconcile and need to be very truthful about. It says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, and yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Um, We see this again quite literally in the gospel accounts of the lead up to Christ's crucifixion, that though he was mocked and ridiculed, though both the Roman leaders um, found no guilt in him whatsoever, though it was quite clear Barabbas was much the, you know, um, more deserving of capital punishment, Christ um, and all of the ridicule from the Jewish leaders, 
Christ doesn't open his mouth. He doesn't give a defense. These people weren't prepared to listen anyway. He'd had three years of public ministry. What else could he possibly do to convince them? What did he need to do? Moreover, he wasn't there to give a defense. He was there to be the sacrifice, to be the lamb, the once for all. And again, it shows his humility, this humility that Paul describes so eloquently in Philippians 2. Um, This is the moment where Christ is preparing himself to suffer all, to bear that iniquity that had been laid upon him. And so it isn't the time to preach. He had already done that. It is the time um, to go through with what God's will was. Then we see in verse 8, he was taken from prison and from judgment or confinement. It says, who will declare his generation? It says here he was cut off from the land of the living. He was killed. We know this. He, and then it says, continuing on in verse 8, for the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. In verse 9, it says they made his grave with the wicked. We know that he was strung up between two common thieves, that he was treated like any other Roman capital punishment, just another for the day. And yet also it says, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Again, if we think back or think forwards um, from Isaiah's perspective, back from our perspective, Joseph of Arimathea takes down Christ's body and he lays it in a tomb um, that I'm sure the other two common thieves were not laid into. Um, So again, a very direct, very clear um, fulfillment, um, but also this sort of flipping between the humility of Christ's life but also the exaltation that is really his due as um, the son of God, as the the king of this world, um, as the rightful um, place. And so um, all of these things Christ occupies at once. And then verse 10 to 12, as we conclude this sermon, it says here, um, describing what's all this about, why, what's accomplished by this. It says, yet it please, this yet here is a really important joining word. So we see the suffering of Christ, we see his ultimate sacrifice of his death. And then the yet joins that to the text we've read and then um, contrasts it, contrasts it with what's actually achieved, which is all good. It says it pleased the Lord to to bruise him or to crush him. Uh, Other versions will use the word pierced. And we know quite literally Christ was pierced in his side, in his hands, in his feet. Um, It says when you make his soul an offering, he is put into grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, it says he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many or make many right, make many complete. Um, Daniel has um, looked at these concepts in his Wednesday night Bible studies. Um, This idea that, um, as it says there at the end of verse 11, he shall bear their iniquities. So again, this very clear line running through that it is our sin, but Christ 
bears the punishment for that, takes that to God and says, I have done this. Now look at the people that come to you through me, as Romans 6 quite plainly states, and see these people as right, see these people as justified. Uh, as Lynn, I know, was rightly saying, just as if I did not sin, um, of a colloquial description of justification. And then verse 12, he says, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great. He shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, in other words, he came to earth, he gave of his life, he bore the sin of many, and then he says, and made intercession for the transgressors. That is, for us, for those who transgressed or who went across the law, trans meaning across those who broke it, those who went against it, God intercedes. God is, or rather Christ, you know, when God comes to judge, Christ pleads in our behalf. He says, no, no, these people are covered by my sacrifice. Just as the lambs of old were slaughtered, I was slaughtered and I was slaughtered so that you don't have to slaughter these people and that we can be right before God. Just as the end of Revelation 5.12 says, it says, worthy is the lamb who was slain, but it doesn't stop there. Just as Isaiah 53 doesn't stop at verse 9. The end of Revelation 5.12 says, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and blessing. All of these things are ours. All of these things are for the children of God. All of these things are the inheritance that we receive. All of these teachings that we see in the New Testament, drawing specifically from this and other prophecies in Isaiah and elsewhere. The through line is absolutely clear from Adam all the way through um, that Christ is the one in whom the world finds ultimate salvation and he bore our sins and as a result we can be brought back to God and ultimately be victorious. Victorious over um, the grave, not in terms of immediate sicknesses but in terms of the ultimate of our soul either going to heaven or to hell. Let's pray as we close this worship service now. Dear Father in heaven, we are so grateful, Lord, for your word, for its clarity, for the way in which it moves through time, and yet it remains clear that sin is humankind's ultimate problem and that you have always had in mind the solution for it. And you pointed towards it and then you described quite clearly when it was here in front of us that it was in the person of Christ and that it was in his sacrifice and that through that, through his um, resurrection, through the victory that was gained over death, over Satan, um, over um, the distance between us and you because of sin, Lord, and that we have been brought back, we've been made right, that we have all of these blessings available to us, that we have peace through the Prince of Peace, Lord. And though it was such an awful thing for Christ to endure, we know, Lord, that it was because of love, it was because of his mercy, it was because of how much more he cared for us that he was willing to endure this. In all these things now, we give thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.